radio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 256 of the world's only relevant source of information, The Bugle, with me, Andy Zaltzman, the five-time runner-up in the World Silver Medal Winning Championships, a performance I'm absolutely delighted with. And uh, joining me from New York City, in the area of... It's got three syllables. Uh, it was a Pope, an Archbishop, Abe Lincoln, Mexican... No, Ma- Manhattan. All right. It's Lance Corporal Laughter himself, Admiral Amusement, Fight Lieutenant Funny, it's John Oliver. At ease, Buglers. <laughs> Attention, Laughter. Uh... Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. The Bugle is late this week because I had to go to uh, LA on Thursday to do a Q&A with the Television Critics Association to talk about the HBO show I'm doing that doesn't technically exist yet. Now, luckily, <laughs> I've been fiercely trained through years of doing this particular podcast to be able to bullshit at length about nothing. So <laughs> it wasn't even a challenge, Andy. Uh, but the, the order of appearances at the TCAs was absolutely ridiculous. I was on last after... Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson talking about their new show. Then Julia Roberts talking about her new show. Then (laughs) Lena Dunham and uh, the cast of Girls talking about the new series. And then me, Andy. I was the closer. I was sent in to cool that room down and consider that job done. I'm a team player, Andy. They want someone to ice the day. I'm your guy. They call me Johnny Iceman. Or at least they will. After last week. Now, that is essentially, Andy, like having a concert with the Rolling Stones, Metallica and Kanye West and then bringing to the stage a three-year-old who's going to bang some pots and pans together before shitting himself on stage. (laughs) It was a weird experience, Andy. And something tells me this whole thing is just going to get weirder. Well, I think that was Justin Bieber's first concert, wasn't it? (laughs) Boom! There, I've got I've got pop culture references when I need them. Yep. They're all in the bag. I just I just play the club when I need the shot. I mean, he's less relevant than he was a couple of years ago, Andy. But still, really. still <laughs> a bit out of the loop. <laughs> uh, so we are recording on Saturday, the eleventh of uh, of January. Um, on the tenth of January, forty nine BC. Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, a river in northern Italy, uh, in which uh, basically made civil war inevitable. And that became a phrase for to uh, take a course of action that inevitably commits one to uh, a certain destiny. Uh, other historical acts have also led to common phrases now in everyday parlance, including uh, Henry VIII's, uh, he broke up with his wife, uh, although the word with did come in some years later. Uh, in 1776, uh, this weekend, Thomas Paine, published his smash-hit, platinum-selling, multi-award-winning pamphlet, Common Sense, Classic. which uh, helped inspire the American colonies to uh, declare independence from Great Britain. Amongst the nuggets of common sense that Payne disseminated were, uh, when walking through a door, always check that it is not, in fact, a window. Do not wear swimming trunks made of lead. Wait until bridges are finished. Do not eat anything that is still barking. And never put your plonker in a bucket of snakes, which, <laughs> coincidentally... Also an early Run DMC song. And uh, that was enough. That was enough to make the American colonies think, how come the British have never told us these things? And they decided to go their own way. Also on this day in 1927, a man called Ian Gray bought a loaf of bread somewhere, probably. Took it home and said, I just bought a loaf of bread. As always, a section of the bugle is going uh, straight in the bin. This week, a product recalls section that we've been asked to do. So if you do have any of the following pieces of uh, kit... Please return them to the shop where you got them from. The Gruntsick Home Trepanning Kit. That turns out to be just an ordinary masonry drill. The Wactec Appliance Training Stick. Um, turns out that smacking electric appliances with a stick is not, in fact, effective. Numerous court cases are pending. The Domestic Sticks Cast Iron Plug Prod. Uh, 
which was supposed to enable you to check that your power sockets are working, but resulted in a series of fatal electrocutions. The Vegetablitz Potato t and Turnip Cannon, too destructive, only for pro-level ultimate food fighting. And the SBF Rocket Sledge, which does not function on either level. All those should be returned as soon as possible to the shop you bought them from. Top story this week, enter the weatherman. Ding, do, 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 ding, ding, do, 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 ding. Off to weather, weather land. Environment news. <coughs> so, who doesn't love weather? Andy, it keeps us warm, it keeps us cool, it dries our clothes, and it serves as a very popular form of conversational methadone. Ooh, isn't it warm outside? Isn't it cold outside? Oh, hasn't it been unseasonably hot? Oh, do you think it'll snow? Ah, the sweet numb of actually avoiding genuine human contact. Uh, <laughs> Extreme weather, however, is a tricky tornado to tame. Uh, the truth is that most people like their weather like they like their chicken cormas, mild with a splash of heat. But uh, <laughs> the weather over the last week has been barom barometrically bananas. <laughs> New York has been ball disappearingly cold over the last week. <laughs> On Tuesday, it was so freezing that as soon as you stepped outside, your balls instinctively tried to jump back inside your body saying, F*** this! It is way too cold outside. If you need me, I'll be hiding behind your kidneys. That's... <laughs> Do you know, that's interesting, actually, because that goes back uh, through uh, evolution to uh, yep. how uh, women evoluted during the last ice age. That all... <laughs> that's how it all began. That is, I think that's true. Um, and it wasn't even the wind chill. That was the amazing and frightening thing. It was just relatively still air, so cold, it repeatedly slapped you in the face for idiotically not being indoors and burned your lungs <laughs> like a bad brandy. Uh, the explanation here was that America has suffered a polar vortex uh, where minus 30 degree temperatures rolled across the country. It definitely felt like a polar vortex. And I technically don't know what a polar vortex is, Andy. I just well, know that we, it felt like one. Didn't we have that as a review for one of our Edinburgh shows? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It was probably fairer than we thought it was at the time as well. Much of America set records that no one here has any interest in breaking. Uh, Minnesota was technically colder than the North Pole this week. That's not ideal, because at the very least, the next logical step is going to be that polar bears are going to want to move to Minnesota. And <laughs> you do not want a family of polar bears moving in next door and dropping over to introduce themselves to the neighbourhood, bringing you a decapitated penguin as a welcome gift. <laughs> but that's what's going to happen, Andy, if temperatures stay like this. That is literally what's going to happen. <laughs> Um, yes, it was the the village uh, of uh, Embarrass, Minnesota. That's the that's yeah. the name of a, of a small village, not the preseason instructions by Leslie Frazier, the former head of the Minnesota Vikings NFL franchise, to his team before they went out and had a rubbish season, finished bottom of their league, and got him fired. I want you to go out there and embarrass Minnesota. Now, this <laughs> is actually the name of a village. Minus thirty seven degrees centigrade. That is yeah. minus thirty five degrees. Fahrenheit, massive win for Fahrenheit there, two degrees yep. hotter on this occasion. Um, uh, and that was colder, not only than the North Pole, John, that was colder than the re uh, recent uh, readings taken by the Mars rover on Mars, Ooh, which is considerably further from the sun than Minnesota is. To put this in context, minus 37 degrees Celsius, that is the exact temperature of George Osborne's soul, and, and that, that really shows you quite how cold the planet has been. 
Extreme weather conditions always have unpredictable consequences, but there's one thing that we can always rely on, Andy, and that is journalists doing stupid tricks on camera to (laughs) prove how hot and or cold it is. Temperatures rise, temperatures fall, Andy, but that will always stay the same. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so in a heat wave, say a journalist will, for instance, try to fry an egg on the hood of their car and will somehow act surprised when they can't start their car the next day because 15 warm, raw eggs have seeped into their engine. (laughs) With this cold snap, however, there was a bold new trick. After reporters started going outside with pots of boiling water, throwing the water into the freezing air, where it instantly and spectacularly turned into snow. These experiments were a massively popular form of journalistic jackass, and uh, (laughs) the videos went viral very quickly. And I guess it shows something about how we live today, that my first response to watching, you know, boiling water turn instantly into snow because the air was so cold was not, wow, that's amazing. It it was, wow, I wonder how soon it's going to be before someone gets badly burned doing this. (laughs) And I was not to be disappointed, Andy, because again, as sure as the sun rises and sets, someone was going to throw a bucket of boiling water in the air and end up with boiling water and metaphorical egg all over their badly burned face. (laughs) The LA Times reported that by the next day, 50 people had claimed on social media being taken to hospital after either throwing the boiling water straight up in the air or not having enough awareness of which way the wind was blowing (laughs) until the wind started blowing the scorching liquid straight back towards them. One person tweeted, and I quote, I just threw a pot of boiling water into the air to see if it would freeze and all I did was burn myself. Hashtag Florida problems. Okay. (laughs) So here's the key thing there. Perhaps it should have been pointed out that the freezing water trick doesn't really work if you're somewhere that isn't freezing, like, (laughs) oh, I don't know, f***ing Florida. I mean, Florida was literally one of only two states that were above freezing for the whole day last week. The only place worse to throw boiling water in the air was Hawaii. Although, whenever something like that happens now in Florida, you feel it's less an accident and it's more an example of natural selection at work. (laughs) (laughs) Journalists quickly advise people to throw with the wind and not against it. Although I I really think the simpler and more effective advice might have been, just don't do it at all. Where's where's the fun in that, John? Well, that's a fair point. Where's the fun in not not scalding yourself? That's fair. Well, if, if, if you threw the egg in the air first... Yeah. ...and then threw water after it, will it land as a poached egg? (laughs) There's only one way to find out, Andy. That's and right. that is well, to do it. I'll leave that to you, John, because it's not been quite so cold over here. Well, look, as that guy in Florida showed, Andy, that's not the point, <laughs> okay, is it? Right. I will go home and I will do that. It's not I'll science, an Andy, it's faith. Well, but I'll throw it directly in the air, yep. so hopefully the poached egg will land in my face, avoiding yes. the need for using a plate. Yeah, zero washing up. That's that's, that's science. What's the you. worst thing that could happen, Andy? <laughs> I'll tell you what the worst thing. It'll be that you'll have a boiled egg in your face. A boiled egg in your boiled face. Uh, I noticed there was also uh, various videos of people urinating into the freezing air mm-hmm. as well, which again, I mean that that shows you know the human instinct for scientific experimentation that has been uh, really the case ever since uh, cavemen started putting their heads in the mouths of Tyrannosaurus rexes. You know, we, we've always been a very entrepreneurial species. Perhaps the most shocking thing here in New York is not that it was f***ing cold here in January, but that today, less than a week later. It's basically borderline warm outside. It is 
57 degrees outside today, which is 50, over 50 degrees warmer than it was a few days ago. This city has been riding a temperature roller coaster, and it is no wonder that people are getting sick. You know, having an over 50 degree difference in temperature from one day to the next is at best weird, Andy, and at worst, f***ing terrifying. And the extreme weather conditions in the US, and indeed the UK where there have been massive floods and winds, have thrown the issue of climate change up in the air like a bucket of boiling water. Uh, Climate change is a controversial issue in the way that Galileo believing the world being round was once a controversial issue. (laughs) Sure, some people didn't believe him, but it turned out that those people were f***ing idiots. And uh, there are a number of environmental stories that have emerged this week uh, that are not necessarily temperature-related, but probably temperature-connected. Uh, researchers have revealed that uh, three quarters of the world's biggest carnivores, the, the terrifying beast of nature, and the subjects of some of Disney's cutest singing and wisecracking <laughs> characters, are in decline. Three quarters. Um, the report claims that the loss of these species could be extremely damaging for ecosystems the world over, although pretty good news for antelopes, to be fair. <laughs> I'm I'm sure they have mixed feelings on the whole thing and there are some emotionally confused antelopes at the moment saying, look, I know this kind of environmental destruction is calamitous in the big picture, but and I feel guilty even saying this out loud. I'm really tired of having my legs chewed off by lions. Does that make me a bad antelope? I'm, I'm not wishing for the extinction of lions. I'm not a Nazi antelope, please. But I'm just saying that a few less of them wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for me personally, leg-wise. Oh, God, now you're all looking at me like I'm a f***ing monster. Forget I said anything. I'll sign the global warming petition. I'm a good antelope. Well, I'm quite... I mean, I'm from a personal point of view, you know, the fewer predators that are likely to uh, eat me and my family uh, uh-huh. the better the, right. uh, the better and it's time you know it's time these spe- we've, we've protected these species for too long you can't uh, you can't interfere with the almighty will of zeus um and um i think in many ways you know that's you know we can, we've got to, we've got to be consistent john because we you know we live in capitalist economies and you know this is just the kind of uh, you know survival of the economically fittest that uh, we pride ourselves on all is not lost however because uh, some scientific research has shown that when large carnivores are reintroduced to areas where they had uh, disappeared from such as wolves in the uh, yellowstone uh, park ecosystems tend to respond rapidly and this to me john is one of the most exciting pieces of science I have heard in a long time because you know, there's a lot of urban sprawl around the world where Greenland has been lost and there isn't much of a connection with nature. All we need to do, John, is populate these areas of urban wasteland with large-scale meat-eating uh, predators. You know, chuck a few leopards yep. into you know Streatham, where I live in South London, and watch these communities spring back to life. This is this is this is where science and the environment can finally come to our aid instead of trying to destroy us. Yeah, you're right. When when scientists looked at the 31 biggest meat eaters, they found that they were under increasing pressure in the Amazon, Southeast Asia, Southern and East Africa. And like you say, in in Yellowstone National Park in the US, they found that, uh, you know, with wolves and uh, cougars being there, they found that having fewer of those big predators resulted in an increase in animals that browse, such as elk and deer. That's a direct quote. And (laughs) I like the idea of elk and deer just browsing, Andy. I think that's... (laughs) A lovely way to put it. Hey, Elk, what are you doing over there? Can I help you with something? No, thanks. I'm just browsing. You've got some lovely trees over here. Uh, researchers. At it's, or- not good. it's not good if they don't actually buy anything. <laughs> That's right. Actually contribute to the economy. Uh, 
Researchers at Oregon State University argue that the rise of these browsers is bad for vegetation and it disrupts the lives of birds and small mammals, leading to a cascade of damaging impacts. The chain reaction is essentially like the old woman who swallowed a fly, or in this case, the old wolf who swallowed an elk. But even if the environment does go uh, fully, fully tits up, um, then all is not lost because science will come to the rescue with some absolutely crackpot scheme. But there are warnings that uh, attempts to reverse the impact of global warming by by using such crackpot schemes might actually make things worse, including injecting reflective particles into the stratosphere, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently could essentially destroy the Earth. It's unintended consequences, John, and we've talked about this before yeah. uh, on the Bugle. It is just one of these things where you hear someone suggesting this idea and you think that is just the opening scene from a massive global disaster movie. <laughs> it's true. In fact, my favourite... <laughs> The scientists found out that as well as absorbing some of the heat coming from the sun with these particles, they would also absorb some of the heat that comes from the surface of the planet. And that would be, you know, a massive, like you say, Armageddon-like problem. (laughs) And uh, my favourite quote from all of this came from Dr Matt Watson from the University of Bristol, who had previously been involved in a British project to test out this kind of reflective particle concept. And he said... I know of no serious scientist who would advocate introducing 100 megatons of sulphur dioxide into a four-degree warmer world. That's a hell of a sentence, Andy, for a human <laughs> adult to say out loud. And he's right. I know of no serious scientist that would advocate doing that, but I'm sure there are plenty of ludicrous scientists who would advocate for it just because they think it would be a funny thing to do. Also, I think I know a fair few evil geniuses who'd be pretty keen on the idea as well, because that is the kind of plan that they whisper into the ear of a hairless cat that they're stroking. Shh, Mr Whiskers, soon the world will be ours after we introduce 100 megatons of sulphur dioxide into the Earth's atmosphere. (laughs) It could be that uh, this is just science's way of opening negotiations, because they've seen with with global warming how uh, politics is... um, you know, I'm maybe more sceptical uh, than uh, than it might be. So maybe it's just it's just presenting an extreme scenario, knowing that the politicians will have a backlash and then they can then reach some kind of logical uh, logical compromise. Uh, leading the way in such compromise could be uh, could be China, who apparently have embarked on the greatest push for renewable energy in the history of the known universe. Um, let's put this in context. Uh, China will get two percent of its power from wind. Uh, still 75% from coal. Mm-hmm. So this is essentially a bit like sticking a kumquat on a doner kebab with extra <laughs> oil and saying, yeah, I'm getting loads of vitamins from this. Loads. It's still a bold move, though. I mean, especially coming from a country who has basically invented their own edible air. They pollute things so much. <laughs> uh, they're they're the, lar- the world's largest producer of wind power, China, uh, but they're planning to move from their current capacity of 75 gigawatts to uh, 200 gigawatts by the year 2020. But the entire EU only has 90 gigawatts of wind capacity. Now, I know nothing about how that all works, but I'm guessing this means that China are now stealing everyone else's wind (laughs) and that kites are going to lie on the ground across Europe as people desperately try to learn the Mandarin for, please, China, can we have our wind back? Is... (laughs) Is that how it works? That must be how it works. Well, I think, um, well, throughout our, our careers, John, we've raised public awareness of the dangers of over-farming wind. So, you know, it's, um, I think it's a very grave concern. And uh, also, you know, the battle for solar power. Can we stick a flag in the sun and claim it? You yeah. know, these are, these are the questions that humanity is just afraid of addressing. 
troubled bridge over political water news now. And uh, Chris Christie, Andy, is governor of New Jersey. He is a popular man uh, and a major candidate for the Republican presidential nomination next year. But he's in a spot of trouble after some uh, bridge-based shenanigans recently. As a man, he is larger than life as well as larger than medically advisable. And (laughs) he drove slowly, headfirst, into a political scandal this week after it emerged that members of his staff were responsible for closing down parts of the George Washington Bridge between New York and New Jersey for two days, bringing (laughs) traffic chaos to a local town, all as punishment for its mayor not supporting Christie in his re-election. Now, this was a rumour that's been going around for a while now, but a bunch of emails have proven that this was indeed an old-style Jersey punitive shakedown. Uh, To understand this story... You really need to understand the emotional involvement with traffic that people in New York and New Jersey have, especially when it comes to travelling between those two places. Because you might think this is just way too petty an issue to really hurt Christie's political future. But that would be to fundamentally misunderstand how untouchable traffic in this area is. In fact, this might be the only thing that could seriously hurt him, because there are three unshakable codes of conduct in New Jersey. (laughs) One, respect your mother. Two, don't have sex with children. Three, don't f*** with the GW Bridge. And that's it. (laughs) Pretty much anything else goes. If this sticks to Christie, this scandal, never mind the presidential nomination, even the New Jersey voters might want him gone because he will have crossed a line you cannot uncross. You can feel Jersey voters now going, look, if he was guilty of insider trading, fine. If it was an affair, fine. If he killed a homeless man with his bare hands, look, we've all had bad days, but you do (laughs) not. I repeat, you do not close down three lanes of traffic on a bridge. That is... (laughs) Up. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's interesting to hear your perspective on this because looking at it from uh, from the other side of the Atlantic, without yeah. such an intimate knowledge of uh, the traffic issues in uh, New Jersey, it does seem to me that as political vendettas go, this is this is really disappointing. I mean, no, it does seem that you're wrong, Andy. You, know, you, know, you can imagine Kim Jong Un looking at this and thinking, "What a t- traffic issue? Call that a vendetta? You guys really need to raise your game." Although, to be fair, Stalin did uh, begin by letting down the tyres on someone's bicycle to get uh, back at them for teasing him about his hat, and he just got hooked on it from there. So, um, I, I think, Andy, the, ma- the mayor of Fort Lee, the guy who was punished for this, I-, I honestly think he would have preferred to have concrete blocks tied to his feet <laughs> and thrown into the East River than this, than, than right. having traffic messed with Andy. That's, that's the ultimate sign of disrespect. I mean, it's, I mean how, how big a blow is it for... Because as you say, he's, he's viewed as by some as the... Republicans' best hope of winning the uh, the next presidential election, which I guess you might see as being equivalent to being a slightly mouldy carrot in a least orange vegetable competition. But still, I guess it's you know someone they're clinging to. Well, at the, at the moment, it's his staff, and it's not. There's no smoking gun or smoking email that links him to this whole story. <laughs> it's just his uh, his staff. Bridget Kelly, who was one of his top aides, uh, sent an email to Bill Baroni at the uh, the Port Authority, which uh, said. After uh, the election, uh, if it was clear the mayor was not going to support Christie, uh, the email said, time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee, to which he responded, got it. And it was traffic (laughs) chaos for days, adding hours to the commute, causing school buses to get to school late and ambulances to struggle to get 
where they were needed. Not great. And what one text was sent by a mystery number after all uh, the severity that came out saying, is it wrong that I'm smiling right now? And <laughs> there's, every part, there are little details that are coming out that are amazing. They even refer to this guy as in <laughs> insulting terms as the little Serb, the Amerifortly, despite the fact he's in fact Croatian. So there's... <laughs> Such a fine line There these are little days. gems. <laughs> Um, what uh, what I liked about this, John, was that uh, how um, initially officials said that the decision to close these lanes on the uh, on the George Washington Bridge were part of a traffic study. <laughs> and, I mean, what exactly were they trying to find out? Whether or not, if you close two f***ing lanes of a major bridge, some people are going to be late for the Pilates classes. Well, I think that's that is another piece of scientific research that definitely needed to be checked out. Um, I think we also need to see this in the context of America being um, being a Christian. Uh, Christian country, and God, of course, uh, massive celeb stateside, uh, also a huge fan of infantile score settling, as the people of ancient Egypt would testify. <laughs> um, and, um, of course, not everyone did badly out of it. Uh, locust racket salesmen did a roaring trade. In fact, it's the origin of tennis, swatting locusts away during a cheek- cheeky little plague. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it also was a big traffic issue because locusts really clogged up traffic. Because, you know, just imagine, if you get a, a locust stuck in your camel's exhaust system, you're going to break down on the road, you know. You know, tailbacks halfway down the bloody knob, bloody camels conked out all over the place. That, of course, followed hail, definite traffic angle. Uh, the first six plagues, not so bad from a congestion point of view, your blood, your frogs, your pestilences, your boils, etc. But then hail, tricky driving conditions, locusts like hail but more so, darkness, I've never seen a camel with headlights, finally counteracted by killing the firstborn, which, of course, eased the school traffic run a bit. But still, definite traffic angle from God. That was one of his major tools. <laughs> slaughter update and uh, there's been a badger cull in Britain John which um, uh, has been uh, the absolute talk of the town it turns out that each badger culled has cost £4,121 wow to kill which um, which seems like a lot that's that's a lot of money per dead badger Uh, I can see a new luxury food stuff coming on I mean it might be disgusting and barely edible but it is bloody expensive and therefore in 21st century terms, it's it's tasty. Um, now, this uh, cull, which I think might have been a pilot scheme, because, you know, obviously, you know, we have a crowded island, not just with badgers, but also with people. I think the elderly will be next if this cull had worked out, uh, worked out better. But um, uh, badgers, uh, famous for their misplaced overconfidence in their ability to stop fast-moving cars on roads with their noses, uh, have been gunned down in their prime. Like the murderous killers that they uh, they are um, in a kind of mafia style retribution for all the bad they've done in the undergrowth. Uh, in one of the areas of the cull, farmers were supposed to be killing five thousand and ninety four badgers, which is a pretty specific number, oddly <laughs> specific. I mean, it did work with witches back in the day, but it still seems uh, a little odd. And critics have said that the cull is not the best way to deal with a problem, uh, and fans of the Badger Cull have replied, yes, but it is awesome fun. Their little faces when you're shouting, look at me, absolutely sensational. Beats running them over in a 4x4, which is still good, but you just don't get such a rush of adrenaline. Um, and the great concern is that Badgers now, having been uh, attacked in this way, are uh, going to go to the hills, John. It's going to be another guerrilla war. It's like Afghanistan all over again, but in Somerset. And we've got a very great danger of a generation of radicalised badgers with a grudge against the state. And I I do not want them wandering around country roads in my country, John. (laughs) 
Well, this is uh, Bugle 256, as we said at the start of the show, which means, in binary, it is Bugle 100 million. Uh, thanks to maths fans who uh, <laughs> alerted us to this fact. Uh, I don't know if it counts as 100 million, if it's only 215, but it is written as 100 million. It's two to the power of eight. 256. That is an eight-round knockout, John, as I uh, said last week, to find your favourite bugle. And we will be doing this. We will be taking a three-second snippet of every bugle we've done. Drawn from a hat, two bugles a week, head-to-head. You have to choose your favourite to put through to the next round. Keep a wall chart to follow all your favourite episodes' progress. Until in six to six and a half years' time, we will have a final... Uh, maybe do five-second snippets from the quarter-final stage on to make more of an event of it. Uh, until we have the best snippets in Bugle history, by which time we will have done a, about another 256 episodes, give or take, and then we'll have to do the same over and over again before a grand grand showdown uh, some some 12 years after that. I mean, this could go on. Anyway, it's round one. <laughs> First out of the hat, it's Bugle 37, and Bugle 37 will play... Bugle 155. <laughs> so here are your two snippets. You be the judge. Here is Bugle 37. President of the United States or Mr. Universe. And now the snippet of Bugle 155. Named all of his goats after the Western leaders who'd confronted him. Uh... So there you go. That's, I mean, that's, that is a big match-up to start with, absolutely. Very go, hard to pick a winner there, John. It? Yeah, either way. Very hard. Sports and British national decline news now, and well, the Ashes have finished, John. And they have finished. It, Boy, they have they finished. They have finished in a big way. England went to Australia as holders of the Ashes, the only relevant trophy in world sport. The uh, ancient cricket contest between England and Australia that dates back to the 1880s, and we lost five nil. In five matches. It might have been a bit chilly in America, John, but that is nothing compared to the coldness of the atmosphere around the England cricket team at the moment. There were basically only two highlights for England in the whole series. One, one of their young players did quite well, and two, it is now over. It's basically been like watching a long favourite dog getting mercilessly beaten up, teased and eaten by a cat that it always used to have on toast <laughs> for breakfast. <laughs> I'm sure that cat turned out to be a lion cub that suddenly grew up into a ravenous <laughs> tiger after eating a contaminated zebra egg. But still... The dog barely even barked, John. It just whimpered a little bit and doused itself in wildebeest ketchup. It basically felt like the cricketing equivalent of medieval abdominal surgery with cheap vinegar as an anaesthetic. And that was just watching it on television at the safe range of a couple of hemispheres away. So it cannot have been that much fun to play in. Um, now, I know there are bigger problems in the world right now. You know, South Sudan, Central African Republic, sure. uh, Syria... That kind of that kind of shit. But luckily, our elders and betters have ruled that the first two of those are far enough away from anywhere important to be worth giving too much of a shit about. And we've done our bit for Syria by not starting a war that we didn't need to start anyway. So that's fine. And the environment, as we've discussed, probably too late. So nothing, John, is of greater social and political importance at the moment than England's cricket team going more belly up than Pavarotti swimming backstroke, melting down like a <laughs> waxwork grandmother at her own cremation, going to pieces like a gun-obsessed serial pacifist leper visiting a chess set, subsiding like a poorly built house in a swamp made of the port and starboard bits of an old German U-boat, caving in, John, like an avant-garde Australian rock musician-themed pub. The cave, cave in. I think I've made the point. They didn't play very well, John. In fact, at times it was barely even possible to discern what sport England were trying to play. Now, to put this in context, Buglers, I am 39 years old. England being ritually eviscerated at the altar of cricket was a regular aspect 
of my childhood, just part of growing up and being British, or at least part of growing up and being a middle-class English person from the southeast with an already promising career in reality avoidance. But in those days when we lost John, we did so properly, predictably, against teams that were objectively very, very good indeed. Getting thrashed by the West Indies in the 1980s was like losing to Thomas Edison in an inventor light bulb competition. No shame, he's a Hall of Famer. But this time, John... I mean, Australia have played very, very well. But England, over the last few years, have been somewhere between very good, pretty good, and definitely not shit for quite a long time now. (laughs) And we've beaten Australia three times in a row. And still, this happened. It's uh, I, I mean, it's, it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. This I don't think I'm going. I'm, I'm overstating it. Um, but if sport teaches us one thing, John, and it teaches us all things, um, it is that even in the darkest situation, we can take positives. Um, and we've learned this from history, not just sport. The charge of the light brigade uh, that came out afterwards in the press conference. Uh, it's a terrific effort from the boys. I think we've definitely dented some of the enemy's uh, bullets. Delighted with the effort as well. The lads gave 110%. Couldn't ask for any more from them boys. And if they can repeat that next time, we'll give anyone a game. And the experience will definitely stand us in good stead for next time we order the cream of British manhood to charge straight into enemy fire. So, even from this, John, even from English cricket having its vital organs ripped out and cooked on a barbecue in front of its own face, we have to find some positives. And there are three. Uh, One, we generously boosted the Australian economy by giving the travelling English fans four extra full spending days off frontline balmy army duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, life will never be quite as painful again, John. This is as bad as it's ever going to get, um, and uh, it's always good to get the worst things out of the way. That, I mean, that's how life. That's why babies cry so much because it is, you know, it's it's awful being that small. And as I said, one new player did well, a guy called Ben Stokes. That's hope for the future, John. What's the saying? From small acorns, hungry pigs might have a snack, uh, or maybe from small acorns, a tiny sapling might start growing before being urinated on by drunken teenagers, dug up for a laugh used to try to pole vault into a skip and then thrown onto a train track to cause minor disruption the following morning. That's um, And for, oh, one more positive. We're all two months closer to the merciful release of the Reaper. That's it. Four positives, John. Four positives. It's been a tough... It's been a very, very tough time for me. Very tough. I'm slightly regretting ever being born. <laughs> that might be the perfect end note, Andy, to... England's trip to Australia. <laughs> that is definitely how badly we've been beaten. I'm slightly <laughs> regretting ever having been born. And um, it didn't help the way I was watching it because uh, in, uh, I had to watch. Well, I say I had to watch quite a lot of it for my for writing for uh, Crick Info. Well, I, I basically spent several nights sitting on my own in my shed in my garden, which I have as an office. Yeah, watching watching the cricket. Just on my own in a solitary shed in a garden in South London. I mean, that's. I mean, life doesn't get much bleaker than that, John. <laughs> Watching England getting absolutely torn to pieces. Dark days. Dark days. Too soon to laugh about it. Much too soon. Uh, that's about all we've got time for on uh, on this week's uh, Bugle. We'll be back with some more of your emails uh, next week. Do keep them coming into info at thebuglepodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. I hope uh, American Buglers enjoy thawing out. Um, have you got, and have you got any more uh, gigs with Julia Roberts this week, John? <laughs> I think we're going to go back to our regular number of gigs together, which is... Whatever slightly less than zero is. <laughs> There's two lives that should never have collided, Andy. All right.
And I mean, how was how was her? I mean, how, how did how did you compare against her as a as a stage? Uh, what as a physical <laughs> specimen? I'm guessing badly, Andy. <laughs> I'm guessing biologically badly. And I know that's supposed to be subjective, but in this case, I think we can see that one is the superior example of humanity than the other. Yeah, look, <laughs> that face seems basically symmetrical. Oh, what's that guy's face doing? <laughs> So, until next week, Buglers, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>